First of all, I want to say Alhamdulillah, God give me everything. Alhamdulillah, I know you got this, you don't like this. Alhamdulillah. Gotta thank God for my team. Hop in the mail like Alhamdulillah. Count us the nail like Alhamdulillah. Check my apparel like Alhamdulillah. Fly the sparrow like Alhamdulillah. And just like that, we are back. Welcome to the MMA Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Idris Crawley, writer for WMMARankings.com and the MMA Scene blog. With the vacation that extended longer than expected and technical difficulties behind us, we are back with a very interesting show for you today. In just a moment, I will be speaking with Brave Combat Federation lightweight contender Abdul Karim al Salawadi, who will be vying for the vacant lightweight title on November 16th when he takes on former UFC fighter Lucas Martins. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the fight, the situation with the lightweight title, and much more. You want to stay tuned for that. And then later on in the show, we're going to discuss the industry-shaking transaction that occurred just a few days ago when the UFC and 1FC engaged in a trade, first time in the history of the sport of mixed martial arts to my knowledge, when the UFC traded former flyweight king Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, who is, in my opinion, the, at very least, second pound-for-pound ranked fighter in the world for Ben Askren unbeaten at 18 and 0 and people have wanted to see Ben Askren in the UFC for a while but I'm going to talk a little bit about the importance of the deal how it affects both promotions and really who's the biggest winner out of this because when you look at it both companies benefit greatly from this transaction but one of them it puts them in a drastically different situation. And we're going to talk about how that affects the industry as a whole. And also, for you WMMA fans out there, the women's scene have a few thoughts on that as well. So don't want to waste too much of your time today. I want to jump right in it. So let me take this first break. And when we come back, Abdul Karim al Salawadi will join the show. I'm a lion. I'm a king of the flyway. I'm a real champion. The Say what you want. Say I'll talk to you while we fight. You mustn't mistake my kindness for weakness. Gary Relentless Joshua. You take him to the dry land and cut him into pieces. I will snatch a limb and I will take it off. I'm coming to take that ball from you. Be ready. I'm coming to finish you, Gary Joshua. On the 3rd of November, the EFC's most dangerous champion meets a fearless foe. And bantamweights rise when South Africa's Lutando Biko collides with the UK's Cal Eleanor for the interim title. EFC 75, Grand West, Cape Town. Tickets and broadcast information at efcworldwide.com. Last fight for the lightweight title took place in 2017. 
Since then, there was no title defense forcing Brave to make an interim title fight. Lucas Monero became the interim lightweight champion of the world. After Atman Azatar fighting in his home country in a non-title fight, the only outcome for the lightweight division was the unification of title in November. Refusing to defend his title in 2018 led to Brave's president stripping the champion and releasing him from the promotion. Made sure that Atman Azatar would be stripped out of the lightweight title. Leaving the division into an open challenge for the gold. Lucas Monero, the interim champion, will now have a new challenger for the crown. The one with second highest win streak in Brave. Abdul Kareem El Sawadi. Oh, big oh. shot! Whoa! Miguelo Martinez. You do wise when I hit the streets. Inshallah, all my brothers eat. Alhamdulillah, praise be to God. I was eating crumbs, now I'm living large. Bought a good stacks, racking up the funds. Make my mama proud. Look who I become. Only 23, and I'm getting paid like I'm Kevin Gates. When it's Alhamdulillah When I get the keys to the biggest house And the day they bring my Akhiralo out On the day Khabib, not McGregor out Only selling in, never selling out Shariyati, bless that beat On November the 16th, the Kingdom of Bahrain will play host to one of the most stacked cards in Brave Combat Federation history as the organization will return for its 18th event featuring title bouts in both the flyweight and lightweight divisions. Today we're going to focus on the main event as former UFC contender Lucas Martins battles former Desert Force champion and the Pride of Palestine Abdul Karim Al Salwadi for the vacant lightweight title. Al Salwadi joins me now. Salam alaikum, Abdul Karim. How are you, my brother? I'm good. I'm doing good. Um, how are you doing? Alhamdulillah, my brother. Alhamdulillah. Uh, now you know Brave is a growing promotion, and they've have acquired many television deals across the globe, including over here in the U.S. with Slow Combat and uh, Fight TV and other platforms as well. So a lot of people out there may not be familiar with uh, some of the talent on the Brave roster. So let's tell the fans a little bit about yourself. What really attracted you to the sport of mixed martial arts? So, I mean, since I was a kid, you know, I always loved the sport. Um, I used to watch uh, UFC with my father, you know, back when I was like a little kid. And I come from like a martial arts background. Like my father, um, he used to be a, a karate black belt and he used to also box. Um, he was never able to make it to professional because every time he was getting ready for an event, you know, something happened. He tore both of his ACLs. So... That stopped him from fighting, and you know back then these surgeries weren't weren't easy. Like you could recover from an ACL in these days, but back then it was um, you know it was a life it was, it was a career-ending injury. Um, so you know I was I was just born and raised always like as a fighter. You know my dad would teach me. Um, I was always athletic all my life. I was always known as like the really athletic kid. You know crazy cardio, crazy strength. You know above average in my age. Um, and that stayed with me up until, like, I was, like, 15, 15, 16 years old. And that's when I was actually introduced to, like, my first um, martial art. I started off as Muay Thai when I was um, 16. And then um, 
you know, I, I, I did that for about two years, just, you know, doing championship after championship. Like, I was I was rising very quickly like once I started because I was already very athletic. I was already, you know, I had I had all the physical abilities to be a good fighter. I was just working a lot on my technique. Um, I'm not going to lie, my first few fights, Muay Thai fights were like brawls, you know, like they weren't very technical. I was just using my athleticism. But then I started to learn and learn more, and I was just, you know, beating everyone in front of me. Um, and I went to, like, Arab National Championships and all of that, and I won all of them. I finished my uh, my Muay Thai record as 22-1, and one, and I was still, like, 17 by that time. So I, I, I had, like, 23 fights in one year. Um, oh, wow. And then, and then I got into MMA. It, it was so funny because, um, you know, I was just, like, a crazy kid, just trying to, you know, always challenge myself. So I was watching TV once, and they had this, like, Desert Force um, promo on the on the TV. And, you know, they just had these, like, guys walking down, like, 20 fighters walking down. And it was just really nice. And I was like, damn, you know, like, I, I want to do this one day. And then it was about, like, two weeks later, I saw on Facebook, there was, like, the, the guys from Jordan representing Jordan fighting for Desert Force. They were looking for sparring partners. So I was like, you know, whatever, let me just go get my butt kicked, but, you know, at least I'll get to train with these guys on TV, you know, at least I'll, you know, get to learn from them or something. Um, little did I know that I was going to go to that sparring session and, like, almost dominate these guys. Like, I would, I, yeah, I was, I was like, 17 years old, crazy kid. I'd fight the guys, you know, a bit higher than my weight class. I was, a, I was like, a small featherweight. And I was fighting, like, a welterweight and a lightweight. So these guys were like, these guys were tough, but I would like beat them in striking. And then I remember one of these guys, he took my back and I stood up and I jumped to land on my back. Like my, I, in my head, I was thinking to like land on his head, you know, like that, that was going to get me out of the choke. Right. Of course he choked, of course he choked me, but then I got up really quick and I was like, you know, let's go again. You know, I <laughs> liver kicked him, knocked him out, liver kicked him, knocked him out. Knocked the other guy out um, by a head kick, and then like the the, the trainer there that that was my coach for a long time, Hashim Arkhaga, uh, which is by a coincidence he's returning to MMA from 2012. He's returning this December in, in the Brave Cage. Um, he saw the potential in me, and he's like, you know, you're really good. You know, you're still young. You just you know keep coming. You know, and 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 um, I want to get into MMA. Um, and then it was just like a couple weeks later, he calls me and he's like, yo, you want to fight? And, you know, I was like sleeping. I was like, no, nah, not today. You know, I'm tired. He's like, no, no, I mean fight, <laughs> fight. Like in 10 days from now, someone um, got injured and, and they need a replacement at your weight class. And I got up like, what? Like 10 days? MMA? The TV? Like these guys? Of course, you know, I was young and crazy. I, I didn't think about anything. I was just like, yes. Like I said, yes. I went, I told my father, I was kind of nervous. I was like, yo, man, remember the, the, the people we watch on TV? Well, they want me to fight there in 10 days. And I was worried, you know, I, I didn't know what he was going to say. And he just started shouting, like, yeah, go for it, let's do this. It's about time, you know, and I, and I was excited. Um, I, I got in there, you know, still that new kid, you know, still in high school. 
Um, I got in the fight, first round TKO, I win. And then just after that, you know, um, I was just known as like the youngest MMA fighter there. Um, all the media, I started getting a lot of media attention. And, um, you know, fight after fight. The first year, I got them all um, knockouts. They were all knockouts, and I got the title, still 17 years old. And, um, you know, just just from then until now, like, I'm always I'm always known as, like, the, you know, hardworking prospect that's, that's always hungry for more. Like, I, I never, I never want to fight and just said I want to sit down and relax. And yeah, every time I fight, I want to fight again, like, right after. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a passion I have. It's a business I do. It's, it's my career. It's my life. It's everything in my life, you know, evolves around fighting. So um, I'm looking to stay in this for the long term, and, and I really enjoy it. Now, at 17 years old, you talked a little bit about it. You kind of hit the ground running because you entered into the Desert Force Featherweight um, Tournament to crown the Featherweight Champion, and you stopped all of your opponents. How did how did that feel, finally getting those first few professional mixed martial arts wins under your belt, and it came with a title at the end as well? You know, it was it was great. It was like a it was like a movie. You know, like things were just happening for me, like. You know, I, I weren't even expecting them coming, but, you know, I was always working hard. Like, even between my fights, when I had layoffs, I would always train hard as if I had a fight. You know, all my career since I started until now, no one has ever motivated me or tried to tell me to train. You know, it's always people trying to tell me to, you know, calm down, you know, take it easy. Ever since, since I started, even until now, like, people just sometimes be like, you know, calm down, you know, you're going too hard, you're training too much, but, um, you know, I know myself, I know my body and what I'm capable of doing, so, um, it was, it was, it was a big thing for me, but again, I, I, like, I'm never satisfied with, you know, just winning, I always want more, so, like, I won my first fight, I need to win my second fight, and then my third was, like, the title, I want to win the title, and I want to defend it, and it was just, always more and more like I was never satisfied with like just a win I had or a or a title I had that it just made me settle I always I always look for you know getting something higher and, and bigger and you won the title you had opportunity to defend it and then you experienced the first setback in your professional career how did that affect you as a fighter are, are you one of those guys to take the approach that you know let me get this first loss out of the way early in my career and move on? Did it motivate you more? How did it affect your career? Yeah, so first, you know, I won the titles and I defended it once. And then when I went to defend it the second time, I lost. And that was my first loss in my career. And to be honest... And the only was, loss to this point. Yeah, yeah, the only loss. And to be honest, I was, like, very heartbroken. I was very depressed. It was, It was really, like... It was the worst things that ever happened to me, but yet at the same time, it was the best things that ever happened to me. You know, like, I never took my opponent lightly. I never took my camp lightly, you know. But at the same time, it just made me, like, make sure I never want to go through that again, you know. So, you know, each camp, I made sure that not only am I working hard, but I'm working smart. I'm making sure I'm taking care of my recovery very good taking care of, like, my cardio, my sparring, my wrestling, my jiu-jitsu. I never want to experience that loss again. Even though you learn from your losses, I could still learn from my wins. I, You know, um, I don't believe, like, you really need to lose to learn from them, but 
I do feel like each each athlete needs at least one loss, you know, just to always put him on check, put him on point, keep him humble. Um, for me, you know that you know that that loss it was the worst thing at that point. But then I learned that it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because like. After that, I was always, like, super motivated. Even if I win, I still remember, like, hey, you know, you could still lose. You don't want to go through that again, so make sure you do this, this, this. So, yeah, definitely for me, that the only loss I had was, a, you know, it was, a, it was a big motivation. And my only problem back then was I wanted to get back to fighting as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And the promotion wouldn't give me a fight until six months later when I was able to finally redeem myself. But, yeah, I was looking to get back in there the next week, the next month. Like, each event, I was like, put me on, put me on. Because I really, you know. And, and for me, that That's loss. That's guy you know, who loves the fight game, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, for me, I, I felt like I didn't even deserve that loss. Because I felt like, you know, it was one of the easiest opponents I ever faced in my career. One of the laziest guys. You know, one of, like, really, it was like, it was like, the easiest opportunity for me to ever win a fight was against that guy. And, you know, I didn't even like the stoppage. It was like a 30-second stoppage. And, you know, nothing in that fight, you know, um, it it made sense to me. Uh, But, you know, it is what it is, and I have to be very professional and not be emotional. I have to, like, separate my emotions from, you know, what's actually happening. And what actually happened was I lost and I had to deal with it, you know, so I couldn't just be sitting around making excuses and I had to just, you know, move on. And you did eventually bounce back right after with another victory before leaving the Desert Force organization. Um, before that, you had all six of your fights in Desert Force with four stoppages, five and one record, and then you got the call up to Brave. Talk a little bit about the opportunity with Brave, how that came about, and did you have any idea the promotion would blow up as big as it has? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, I was with Desert Force for a long time, and then I had a long step back. Like, um, I fought in, my last fight in Desert Force was in May 2015, and then my fight in Brave was in September 2016. That was over a year. And the reason was, was Desert Force was, was really messing up with the guys. Like, you know, cause I was one of the first fighters to start with Desert Force. So I was one of the first fighters to receive the new contract. And right. that's why I did not re-sign with Desert Force. There was a lot of, you know, contract problems. There was a lot of pay problems. Like, I think after their last show, which was in 2000, December 2016, until now, and I think until forever, none of the fighters from that show ever got paid. So I saw a lot of things coming from Desert Force. Um, and I didn't like it at all, and I was told them, if, you know, if you want me to continue fighting with you guys, you need to pay this, do this, this, that, and, you know, the contract never came through, so I decided to just do a lot of jiu-jitsu tournaments for that year and just stay busy training, um, even though I didn't have any fights, you know, but I wasn't going to be desperate and just sign a, you know, a dumb contract, and that's how I was one of the first Arabs to also sign with Brave. Because, you know, Brave was the upcoming promotion. They were looking for, like, stars in the Middle East. And I was I was a free agent at the time. And I was connected with Brave. You know, they were telling me how big of a promotion they will be. And, you know, their vision and stuff. And I believe them. Because, for me, 
every time, you know, I used to tell people things, they think I'm crazy, like, you know, the dreams I have, the things I say, and it takes me time, but with hard work, I always achieve what I say I wanted to achieve, and I'm not even done with everything, I'm still on my way to a lot of things, so I believed in Muhammad Shahid, I believed in their vision, and I'm seeing it happen, and, and even though they're really big right now, they're still not as big as they want to be, like, you know, I, I, I compare myself to Brave, like, you know, they're just always hungry for more. They want to get bigger and bigger. They don't want to be the biggest promotion in Bahrain. They don't want to be the biggest promotion in the Middle East. You know, they're trying to dominate the world, the MMA world. So um, I do believe in Brave a lot. And, you know, especially me traveling traveling the world, you know, talking to MMA fighters, you know, where are you from, where you fight. And I say Brave Combat Federation. And a lot of guys are knowing Brave right now. So, you know, two years and, you know, 18 events, and this much growth, and that many countries, it's a really big deal, you know? Right, right, and you can, you can really see they're they're growing at a fast pace consistently, and they're starting to pick up exactly. their names town, like Bubba Jenkins just won the featherweight title, you have Villamarad Alkasov fighting for the flyweight title, you have Jeremy Kennedy under the umbrella, now they're they're really going after quality talent everywhere you look, and they're getting these television deals, these broadcast partners and everything, and Really, the the future is is bright for Brave, and I'm really excited to see where they're going to be in the next couple of years. And you're really in an interesting position because you're in a position like a Patricio Pitbull or Michael Chandler in the sense that when they signed on with Bellator, they were young, they had experience, they had potential, and they grew with the promotion and became the faces of the promotion. So, you know, you're you're really poised to become the face of Brave right now. Tell me a little bit about um the responsibilities that comes with something like that? I mean, I believe I'm already the face of Brave. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was the first main event in Brave. I was the first Arab fighter, you know, for them. And I believe, like, since day one, I was the face of Brave. Um, and I just I just didn't care less about the title, you know, as long as I was just, I was just winning a lot of fights. I was just fighting fight after fight. That's what I was just most concerned about, I was just staying busy. Not really about, you know, grabbing the title after, like, just entering. Um, but, you know, I never asked for the title, and and I really just left Brave no choice but to give me the title shot as being the most person deserving it. And um, for me, it's not just a big responsibility for being the face of Brave, you know. Like, you know, Brave at the end of the day, you know, let's, let's be professional, let's talk business. Brave at the end of the day is not for me. It's not, you know, I'm just a fighter for Brave, so... You know, faces come and go for a promotion. You know, we see that a lot in the UFC, how one day it's Ronda Rousey, one day it's John Jones, one day it's McGregor. Like, every day it's a different one day fighter, you know? One day it's Eve and the off, like Yeah, well. yeah. So, so you have to be smart about that when you say, like, face of Brave. I'm not going to take it personal. Um, I know that I'm going to be the face of Brave as long as, you know, I give Brave what they want. And that is, you know, me coming up, showing up, fighting, winning the fights, entertaining the crowd. So... As long as I keep doing that, you know, I will be the face of Brave. But, you know, most importantly for me, you know, I want to be, like, you know, the face of my own. Like, I want to make sure I keep winning fights for myself, you know, for my people. That's something very important and dear to me, you know, my my fellow Palestinians and Jordanians and, you know, teammates, family, supporters. You know, I fight for these people uh, because, you know, I know they're very loyal to me. And no matter what would happen, they're always going to be there on my side. And they were there before and they will be there after. So, um, I'm really excited to fight for Brave all the time, especially um, 
in the presence of Sheikh uh, Khalid, um, I love fighting in front of him. Um, it gives me like a motivation. You know, it's 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 a big deal whenever you, you know you're fighting for a promotion, and the owner of the promotion is there, and you know you really want to impress them. You want to make sure, like you know, they're and you're fighting. Like, you're literally fighting in front of royalty as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, every time I I walk in the cage, I make sure I, I know where he's at. You know, um, there was there was one fight. I think it was the one in Bahrain last year. Where like I when I took the fighter when me and the, the opponent were in the corner, and I was like in the clinch, his back was on the cage, and I was like facing chair. So like while I was hitting my knees and elbows, I was looking at him and smiling and kind of like giving him a wink. And he was like he was like pointing to me like you know focus on your fight you know. And mm-hmm. I was just like I was just enjoying it. When I'm in that cage, I really enjoy fighting. So you know it doesn't take away my um, my my focus, but I just enjoy it. And you've won all of your fights in brave and impressive fashion, really. The first two fights, you stopped your opponents, and that was at featherweight. And your next fight, which is, like, in my opinion, I don't know if you agree, um, your toughest test against um, Eric Da Silva, but that was at lightweight. What made you decide to make the move from featherweight to lightweight? I mean, because you had an interesting time because you moved up to lightweight and faced one of your most experienced competitors. Yeah, so so actually I was at lightweight – since the day I moved to Braves. So my last oh. fight at Featherweight was in Desert Force. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I moved up a weight class is because I started off as a, as a Featherweight when I was um, 16 years old, before oh. MMA. And I used to weigh, like, what a Featherweight, you know, or, like, a bit over a Featherweight would weigh. But, you know, I was training a lot. I was eating good. I was very healthy. And we're talking about 16 years old. I, my body was just growing. So... Um, each year, each cut would just get a bit harder. You know, my first, like, four fights, or first three or four fights, each fight I would really, like, have to cut an extra five times than I can before. Um, I was just growing rapidly, um, and, and gaining weight, you know, gaining muscle, you know. So, once I reached, uh, 5-1, which was in Desert Force, like, that was my last cut to featherweight, and that sucked. Like, I, I hated cutting to featherweight that fight, because it was just, you know, a lot, and I felt like, you know, on fight day, even though I would perform good in front of the people, but in me, like, in my head, in my body, I knew I wasn't 100% like how I, I should be. Even though I was doing a very good weight cut process, I was doing a good recovery, but still, you know, that wasn't healthy, and I was, at that time, I think I was 20, um, I was 20, and I was like, you know what, I want to fight for like another, you know, 10 to 15 years at least, so why should I be destroying my body for now if each fight is really affecting me? I want to be healthy, and I just want to start fighting lightweight after this. And then people are like, oh, you're going to be small, people are going to be bigger and all. And I was like, you know, I feel like whenever I'm healthy, my body's healthy, my mind is healthy, I could perform much better against a tougher guy than when I perform at a lower weight class against a smaller guy, and I'm just not 100%. So, And I did feel that, you know, each fight at lightweight, you know, I'm not saying the weight cut is easy, but I'm just saying it's exactly where it needs to be. Like, it's it's just on point where, you know, I cut the weight and I make weight and I, and I get back there uh, 100%. Um, like I said, you know, I'm still growing. Like, since I started lightweight until now, I'm still growing. 
but you know, um, I learned a lot, you know, so I have a good uh, weight training program, good rehydration program. So for me, I feel like lightweight is what I'm going to always continue unless they bring these new weight classes where I would say like, you know, 150. But 145 is, is something I don't think I should ever let my body go through. Maybe like 150 is something I could consider in the future if it's something that will ever be there. Um, the talk of the town now is the UFC adding a 165 pound division, so that would be something if Bray was to implement it, you would be interested in maybe down the road. No, 165 is already there. I think they're going to add a 165. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, 165. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, they have one. I think that's a very good idea because there's a really big difference. There's a big gap between welterweight and lightweight, and I think that is a weight class that they should add. Yeah, because if they add the 165 division, they would probably bump welterweight up to 175, which would make sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's just keep them on five, like 35, 45, 65, 65, 75, and then, you know, you get back to the 85 regular. Right, right. You know, I, I say like 85 and 205, you know, that's it. Like, you don't need, like, once you get to, like, light heavyweight, middleweight, people don't really cut weight anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. Not not a lot, you know, usually it's the lighter guys. And I would say mostly featherweights, lightweights, and welterweights cut the most weight. And you talked a lot about your improvement uh, technically, but your in-cage IQ seems to be growing greatly as well. We saw a lot of that in your fight with Eric De Silva when you were hurting him on the feet and he was able to eventually take your back, get him out and gut you a little bit, and you kept yourself safe. Talk a little bit about that experience and, and how you were able to, to survive and eventually stop him in a second. So, um, what really, you know, I always, I always wanted to be smart. I always wanted to be really good. I always train hard. Like, you know, wh- wherever I was in my career, I was always training with the best. Um, but what really, uh, what really did a big change in my uh, MMA career and skill level was when I moved to Dallas, Texas, from Jordan. I was, I was in Jordan from the beginning of my career up until, um, up until my first fight in Braves. Like, I fought my first fight in Braves. Um, and then I moved to America, and that's when I started training with Fortis MMA in Dallas, Texas. And, man, like, the things I go through here, I, I can't even explain to you how worse they are than any fight I've ever been to in my life. Like, I'm, I'm just going to give you a very short example about yesterday's training session. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, I, I don't even know what to tell you, like. I can swear to you that no fight I've ever been to, no matter how tough the opponent was, was maybe tougher tougher than yesterday, right? <laughs> or, or any day in this in this camp over here at Fortis MMA. The things I go through, the positions I go through, the fighters I go with, you know, I spar with, and I'm not talking about you know me being fresh and fighting a fresh guy. I'm talking about after I'm tired, after I think the session is done going with a fresh, you know, UFC guy, and, you know, he's trying to take my head off or trying to knock me out or, you know, trying to submit me, and I just have to work. So so after working here at Fortis, a lot of the things I work in the cage is not always planned. It's really like just muscle memory and just I've been through each position so many times that even if I'm fatigued, even if I'm tired, I will know how to, you know, I'll know how to continue on from there without actually thinking. Just just in being in every position so many times and in so many bad positions, 
um, I'm able to, like, just adapt and improvise right away. So the fight with Eric Silva, you know, it went exactly as I thought it would. Um, and the only reason he took my back is because I gave him my back. I did something very stupid. Um, I was on the cage, and I wanted to hit him with a back-spinning elbow, but I, I forgot my, my arm as the underhook. He had overhooked my arm. So when I turned, I basically just gave him my back. Like, even though I knew it was there, I, I thought I felt like with my turn, my hand's going to slip out of his under overhook, but he still held on and he jumped on my back. And, you know, once he took my back, I was very calm. I was just like, yeah, whatever, you're a black belt, but I've been with like tougher guys than you and I was tired to fill the first round. And then, you know, I got off, you know, he was on the back. I, I gave him the mount instead of, you know, taking my back. And I didn't let him land one punch on the ground and pound. You know, each fight, each each shot, I would see it and I would move. And I would actually hit him back from the bottom. And I, I heard my corner scream the time. They were saying, like, 20 seconds. So I didn't even bother trying to get up, you know, and waste my energy. I was just like, you know, let me let me avoid any possible damage and come back in the second round and finish him. And uh, that, that's what happened. And that was a very, very impressive performance because, like, we all knew you were already technical, but you showed in cage smarts as well, too. And then you, you went on to dominate Charlie Leary to the point where one of the judges scored it three to eight rounds, another one scored it two to eight rounds, and, and one judge scored it, scored it one to eight rounds. And that, that really uh, got people to talking about they, they wanted to see you and Usman Azatar fight for the lightweight title, who was the champion at the time, but he seemed to have no interest in that. Can you talk a little bit about that? That was an odd situation. Yeah, it was it was very weird for me. Like, uh, I was supposed to fight in September, and then Brave contacted me and said, hey, we want to take you off the September card. We want you to fight Azatar for the title in November. I was like, I mean, okay, whatever you guys want. Um, then, you know, I was like, you know, hey, you know, there, what's going on? There's no reply. And then it was like four weeks, you know, Brave calling him out. You know, I, I told him, like, you know, what's up? Let's fight. Never replied, never answered. And until now, like, from his end, never said anything. So I don't know what it is. Politics, scared, not, like, you know, afraid of losing a fight because he's 11-0. For me... I, 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 what I think exactly happened is that, you know, he's 11-0, top-ranked lightweight, top-ranked welterweight, and, you know, he knows I'm a very bad matchup for him, so I think he has a couple more months to finish his break contract. Me, personally, I think he's going to try to wait out his break contract. He doesn't mind if he's not going to fight for a year or two or whatever. He's just going to wait for the break contract to finish. And then try to, uh, you know, get on the UFC just like his his brothers in the UFC. So, and they have a good manager too. So I think I think that's what that's what they're trying to do. And to be honest, that is a smart decision. You know, not to fight me and to try to get in the UFC because um, I guarantee you, if some fight was going to happen, really smart decision. That's something I consider too. Because like you said, he's unbeaten. He's looked impressive in his fights. And why would you risk a stylistic nightmare? Really, if you can. Like get out of your contract and move to the UFC if that's the ultimate goal for that. Yeah, fight. yeah, yeah, and and and, and I don't see Azaitar as a guy that you know he needs to fight. You know, like you know, I just feel like he does it for fun. You know, like he has the money, he has the fame, so he's not really doing it for either. He's just doing it for fun, for more fame, I guess. You know, just and you can see that when you go and fight in a division you don't hold the title in, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you know. Uh, 
you know, he just, he, I don't know. So, um, you know, I'm just focused on myself right now. Um, right. You know, I kept saying, you know, where's the, who's the opponent, who's the opponent. Um, and then I, I knew myself, like, you know, if Azaita is not going to show up, what's well, definitely going to be the interim champ. And uh, there we are. We um, it's, it's me and Lucas Martins right now, Brave 16. And Lucas Martin is definitely a beast. I heard rumors that you would be fighting uh, Luan Santiago and, and Martins and move back down to featherweight, but that wasn't the case. And this is really a, a, a tough matchup stylistic, stylistically for you. He's a guy that was that was really making moves in the UFC before he um, left the organization. It wasn't a situation where he lost and they cut him. He he won his last fight in the UFC and started um, you know winning more on the regional scene, and he got signed to Brave and um, just. Everywhere he's a he's a dangerous fighter. What do you know about your opponent, and what are you expecting? So really, I just watched two of his fights. One was a great featherweight fight, and one was his fight against Luan. Um, really, what I can say about um, Lucas is that you know he's smart. You know he's he's smart in his fighting. He's very picky. You know he's extremely picky in what he does. Um, you know he picks his shots. He picks whenever he wants to strike. He picks whenever he wants to grapple. Um, I'm like, I'm really excited for this fight because I really see it as one of my toughest, uh, toughest fights. You know, like he really, I see him like he has, you know, good striking, good wrestling, good jujitsu, and I see myself exactly like good striking, good wrestling, good jujitsu, and. You know, some, sometimes, not always, but sometimes I would have a certain plan set in mind, like, okay, I'm going to take him down, or okay, I'm going to strike with this guy and avoid the takedowns. But with this guy, you know, I'm just really excited to see what's going to happen because, you know, we're both going to come out there striking, wrestling, and grappling. Like, you know, if, I, if I'm going to punch him, I'm going to punch him. If I could wrestle him, I'm going to wrestle him. If I'm going to choke him out, I'm going to choke him out. And I know he's going to do the same. I know he has the exact same thinking like he's not going to come in here with a one-dimensional you know way to try to win the fight and you know um for me the biggest the biggest aspect in in this fight is not you know who who has more experience more fights in the end it's going to be who wants this fight more who wants this win more who really worked hard in the last months you know leading up to this fight and and man i was I've been working hard. Like, I've been in camp since, like, I don't know what to say, like, since July, because I was supposed to fight in September. And when they said, we're going to bump it two months, like, imagine you're, like, at the end of camp, and they tell you you're going to fight instead of in three weeks from now, you're going to fight in, like, two months and a half or whatever, whatever it was at that time. And and that just made me go, like, damn, (laughs) no break, let's go. And not only no break, let's go, but we're preparing for a title fight, five-round fight, so I had to bring it up even more. So, you know, preparation has been going great. Um, I'm really excited for this fight. You know, it's my first time doing five rounds. It's not his first time doing five rounds. So, you know, he's been there before, but, you know, um, if if it's one thing I'm not worried about, it's my cardio. you know, alhamdulillah, I've been working a lot on my cardio, and I've always had uh, a good cardio base. So, really, I feel like this fight is like a matter of of seconds. Like, you know, like winning from here, winning from here, and then boom, something happens. And 
I definitely think at the end of the day, I'm going to get that victory because I'm working really hard for it, and I I need that victory so bad. And that victory over Lucas Martins will earn you the lightweight title, and you would be the second Jordanian fighter to hold a title for uh, Brave as Jarrah Hussein al Salali just won the welterweight title. But if you think about about his performance over Carson Harris, his performance was um, was very good. Like Jarrah has one of these guys, you know, they're always in constant improvement. You know, he was very busy. He always had fight after fight, no injuries. So that's a good thing. Um, he's still up and coming, like. You know, I would I would say he's one of the top top um, welterweights in the Middle East, and um, you know he did very good. I'm not taking anything away from his performance. He did very good, exactly what he should have. Um, but I really wasn't impressed by his um, opponent either. I felt like he had entered the octagon in a very um, losing mentality. Like he started off slow. I felt like he felt like. Um, I saw that he was, he saw that he was lost. Like the first minute, you know, he was walking in the cage. He was lost. And I think that's because all of his fights were in Brazil. And this was his first fight abroad. And, and everything was just different for him. I don't know. That could be the case. You know, there's a million things that could, you know, go on with a fighter. Um, so I don't know what was the explanation for that. But other than that, you know, Jalas performed exactly how he should have and executed his game plan, like, 100%. And talk a little bit about your heritage. You're very proud. You touched on that a little um, earlier about, um, you know, being a Jordanian and Palestinian fighter, and we see that when you come out with the hybrid Jordanian-Palestinian flag. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I'm originally Palestinian, and I was always true to my roots since I was a kid. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an American citizen as well. I'm a Jordanian citizen as well, but... You know, I'm always true to my um, my origin nationality. Um, I love it. I love representing Palestine because the hope I give back to my people. They don't they don't really have a voice. You know, the the media is always against them, and it's just crazy. So I feel like when I fight, you know, uh, behind each punch, behind each throw I hit, there's like a big voice for the Palestinians. Like, you know, they they are very proud of me. I'm very proud of them. And I fight for them, you know, for people to know the story. You know, this happens a lot. You know, I raise a Palestine flag. People are like, hey, what's that flag? Why do you raise it? Why is that? And then that gives me the chance to tell my story, to talk about my people. And that's, that's one of the main reasons I do it is because I give a voice to our people. And um, it's something I will continue to do and something I'm very proud of. And, again, I, I also raise a Jordanian flag because I'm, I used to live there and I'm also from there. And Jordanians and Palestinians are like brothers. So I hybrid the flag and connect it as one to show like a union of Jordan and Palestine. And you can tell they're like almost the same flag, except the Jordanian flag has a star on it. That's amazing. That's amazing. And we're hearing some horrible news out of Jordan right now with all the storms that just passed and all the deaths that, yeah. that, yeah, that yeah. happened over there. What, what is the message you want to send to your brothers and sisters in Jordan right now? You know, just... Stay strong. Um, you know, everything happens for a reason. Like, this, this just came out of nowhere. But, you know, in these, in these hard times, you know, we need to all support each other. Other than that, there's a lot of problems going on in Jordan. But, you know, I'm really proud of Jordanians how once something like this happens, a crisis, everyone stands together. You know, they stand strong and support each other. So 
you know, um, I just I just want everyone to stay strong and stay safe and um, try to help as much as they can if, if there's a way to as well. And you don't just say that. You back it up because you were involved in relief efforts for Hurricane Harvey victims as well. Can you talk a bit about that and your efforts in the community in Dallas? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, since I was a kid, I always loved to give back to the community. Um, I'm not going to lie. In my in my immigrate career, I had a lot of people always, you know, help me out. And I was never really able to pay them back directly. So the way I, I do it is like, you know, people do good to you. You do good to people. You don't have to go back to the same people. You don't always have to give back the same people something they gave you. It just it's just like it's like a circle in life. Like you know, you do good to people, good things happen to you some way or another. Um, and I believe in that a lot. You know, I I used to help uh, you know hurricane victims back in 2005 when I was a kid with my father. Um, hurricane Katrina. You know, our house we had about like six families inside, um, and we would just you know feed and provide shelter and you know, go around the community, support everyone that needed help, and, you know, but, but right here, when I, last year, Hurricane Harvey, that was just something else, like, you know, it's really bad, it's not because I'm an MMA fighter, it's not because I have a platform, it's really bad if you're a human being, and someone needs help, and you can actually help, but you don't, you know, I just feel like it's very disgusting, you don't need to be a celebrity, you don't need to be a fighter, you don't need to be anything in order to help people, so... I mean, there's a lot of things I do. I don't really tell people about it, but the things I do and people know about just because, you know, there was media there. I mean, it, it just so happened that there was media there and I wanted to help someone. But, you know, it's, you know, I believe that I, you, everyone should be helping no matter if the media is looking or not. You know, just you feel good. And, and that's something I love to do. Um, I love to help people out, you know, if it's like support or or um, helping out with the hand or with money or whatever it is, I feel good about myself. And I, for in a lot of parts of my career, I don't know. I feel like one of the biggest, some of the biggest things that happened to me, good, were after you know doing um, like good things to other people. So sometimes I think of it like as like a business aspect. Like okay, do good to people, good things are gonna happen to you. You know, like mm-hmm. and I, and I truly believe in that. You know, just. Always be positive, do good to people, and good things are going to happen to you. And, you know, that's that's what that's just what I'm trying to spread, you know, on my Instagram stories and stuff. Always trying to spread love, always trying to spread positivity between people. Because wherever you go, people are going to be like, yeah, life sucks. I want to move from here. I want to, this place is better, this place is better. And everyone is saying that in every country, you know. So I just right. feel like, you know, if you're just satisfied and you just, you know, just, Make yourself satisfied and just be happy, be positive. I feel like you know everyone's going to be having a better time, and uh, yeah, that's about it. And we're almost done here, Abdul Karim. I thank you so much for your time, my brother. Um, before we go, um, still continuing on the youth community efforts. Um, you're really deeply involved in anti-bullying campaigns and everything in the Dallas area. I know one of your students, I believe her name is Rayan or whatever. Um, suffers from autism and and has experienced bullying in school, too. I know I'm a father who has a child who's visually impaired and suffers with ADHD, and she struggles in school as well. But you really mm-hmm. turn this um, child's life around. Can you talk a bit about that? It's, it's, I, I, I feel like what you're doing, um, it's not getting enough coverage, and, and I really appreciate you, my brother, for what you're doing. Yeah. So, really, I, I don't care about the coverage. Um, I only liked it at that time because of, the extra boost, boost in confidence it gave to the students and 
especially that girl, Rayan, you know, when I sent her mother the article and, like, her videos, it made her even more confident and, like, a superstar in her school. So, you know, she came from being bullied, being shy. She was super quiet, super shy. You know, she would, you know, she wouldn't do anything. She was just very shy. I would talk to her. It's like she wasn't paying attention in the beginning. Um, but then, like, a year, like, throughout the course of a year, just 180 degrees transformation. She's, like, very hyper, very talkative. Um, she she defends herself. She defends students in her class. And that's something I was always talking about. You know, since I was a kid, like I said, I was always um, athletic. I was always, like, you know, that, that muscular kid or that strong kid. And I was always getting in fights. But believe it or not, none of the fights I was ever getting into were me bullying anyone. It was always me defending someone. And that would always bother the school. They would be like, you know, we're the school. I'm the principal. Tell your teacher. We'll handle this. And I'd always say, like, as a kid, like, as a small child, I'd be like, no, you won't. You know, what, what are you going to do? You're just going to call his parents or what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to punish him myself. So as a kid, I was always, like, being called into the office, but it was because I was hitting kids, bullying other kids. I I never liked bullies ever in my life. And I used to feel like, you know, if they're the strongest kid in class, it's me. And I'm not and I and I'm not bullying anyone. So what would give you the right to bully another kid, you know? So I was always like, you know, I'm stronger than you and I bully the bullies. That's what I always say. Like I will bully the bullies and always um, you know, stand up for the girls, stand up for like the the weaker boys or, you know, the people that were being bullied. So when I grew up, this passion grew up with me. And it also started when my niece came home once crying, saying that, you know, she was bullied and, you know, someone said something mean to her. And that's when I was like, okay, that's it. You know, I'm going to start teaching you. And then I was just like, well, let me make a class for all the kids her age as well. And I started teaching a kid's class. And, you know, that's how it all started off together. And I'm really happy with the program. Um, I'm going to restart it in January after this fight um, because I see a lot of positive results, you know, in school. The kids, they have more discipline, um, anti-bullying, like they have more confidence, uh, you know, no, no more trouble. Like, I feel like bullies, bully, bullying comes from, um, like, a, a deficiency in confidence. When you're confident that, you know, you're strong and, and no one could mess with you and stuff. You don't want to mess with anyone. Like, it's just, it's just, I feel like, um, just the deficiency people have, um, or they just want to show off. So I feel like martial arts not only helped me in my life, but so many other people I know. And, um, I just wish, you know, everyone, everyone can try this out. Like, one of my biggest things when I'm starting a school program is parents coming up to me. And I hate when they when they say this, but I always have to talk with them about this. They're like, yeah, you know, I want to put my son into sports, but I, I'm scared I put him into martial arts because he's already crazy and he's already rough. <laughs> so I, I don't want him to get into martial arts because then he's just going to be more rough and more aggressive. And I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, the reason your son is aggressive is because he's not doing martial arts. But like mm. me... Like, martial arts saved me. Like, sparring, training. Like, training is so humbling, you know. Having someone to, to make you do push-ups when you can't even breathe for air, making you do more rounds, you know. You're not aggressive anymore. It's all very controlled. You're very disciplined. That's what martial arts is about. It's about respect and discipline. 
And it, it really bothers me when some parents start telling me, like, oh, I don't want to put my son into this because he's aggressive. Let me just go put him in soccer. Yeah, yeah, I'll put him in soccer or basketball. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I want to end this um, on a high note, Bill Kareem. Um, recently, the UFC and one made a deal to where they were trade Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson for Ben Askren. So if Braves could trade for any other fighter in the sport of mixed martial arts, who would you like to see them trade for? That was very interesting. I mean, I don't know. Damn. I don't know. <laughs> like, right, I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but, you know, as an MMA fighter, I'm not really a fan of, like, MMA fighters. I don't know how to explain to you. Like, I don't really watch UFC or I don't really watch fights. I only you do, watch you do it more for the competition, not necessarily to yeah, the fact yeah, like, 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 you know, I fight and I don't watch my videos. Like, I fight and that's it. It's over. Like, I'll watch it once after the fight maybe and then that's it. Um, I'll watch my opponent's tape to just get an idea of what I'm going to do. I'll watch my teammates fight because I love watching my teammates fight. Um... You know, I'll watch my, my teammates' opponents' videos so I can help my teammate. But I don't really, like, go, like, oh, yeah, did you watch the fights last night? Yeah, let's watch these fights. Oh, I'm a fan of this fighter. I'm a fan of that. Even though I would watch, like, big events. Like, the, like let's say, for example, the McGregor fights or the Habib fights. It's not because I'm a fan of really the guys, but it's it's just a big event. Like, everyone, you know, what, what what's more cooler than, like, hanging around with your friends, you know, eating some good food, watching the fight. It's just like going out, you know, for me. Um, I watch, like, just the biggest events, and I watch, like, the main card, too. I don't, I wouldn't even watch all the fights. But if we were to talk about, you know, MMA fighters, I would say that before I got into MMA, I was always watching Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, and Jose Aldo. So those three um, were my favorite um, right now, I do like Khabib. Like, I like, I like Khabib, not just because of his fighting style, but just because of his overall, um, you know, personality, like his character, his humbleness. And to me, one of the most important things for fighters is to be humble. You know, if, I don't care how good you are, but if you're stuck up and, and arrogant, you know, I would, I would never be a fan of that fighter. So, you know, Khabib, I see him, you know, he's 27-0, undefeated, very humble. You know, he has that same, like, father-son relationship I have with my father as him being, like, my coach and supporter. Um, you know, just the things that the way he deals with the sport is not like he's doing it just for money. He's doing it for respect, you know, the religion and everything. I, I have a lot of respect for that. So Yeah, he's always uh, said in interviews that religion is his number one fighting always comes after that. So and and yeah. that comes out in his demeanor and how he how he uh, approaches all the situations that he's been exposed to thus far. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh before we get out of here, Bill Kodima, um what do you want to tell the fans about what what should they expect on November sixteenth? Oh man. So let me tell you something guys. <laughs> I've been working extremely, extremely hard for this fight. And I'm talking about jujitsu, wrestling, striking, boxing, muay thai, everything. The best way to put it is that this is gonna be a very high paced fight. You know, I can 
I can tell that Lucas has very good cardio, and I like to believe myself I have, you know, some of the best cardio in the lightweight division. So this is going to be very technical and high-paced. You know, no one's going to be laying around. No one's going to be just waiting. It's really going to be a race of who can beat the living hell out of each other for 25 minutes the best, you know. And that's, to me, that's if it went 25 minutes. Um, I do believe I, I will I could get the finish before the fight reaches the the end of the five rounds. But you know if if I don't get the finish, um, I do believe I will put on a pace that he hasn't dealt with before. He's dealt with tough competition, but at the same time he's never dealt with me. And and I feel like I'm a I'm a I'm a bad matchup for Lucas, even though he's a very tough opponent. You know we talked about that. And I only said that just because, um, you know, I'll be dumb if I don't respect my opponents and say, you know, um, what they're good at and what they're not good at. So he does have some weaknesses, um, but he also does have some strengths. And I will expose his weaknesses on November 16th, um, according to the game plan I am working on. And before I let you go, give a shout-out to your sponsors. And I know a lot of people have been helping you prepare for this fight, so let them be known as well. Give a shout-out to everyone. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank fight. you very much. Um, I want to thank my sponsors, uh, Swolo Clock, Newer Vitamins, Too Tough to Tap Fight Gear, Legacy Dental, um, Fortis MMA, uh, Reform Ortho, Ortho and Rehab. Uh, these guys always, you know, support me. I also want to thank uh, a sponsor in Bahrain, Vape in Bahrain. These, uh, this is going to be my first fight working with these guys. Um, Sparta Tourism and Travel. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. You know, these guys are really good to me. And uh, I just want to thank everyone for their support, um, be it sponsors or fans or family, teammates, coaches. I wanted to thank everyone for their support, you know, um, throughout my MMA career until where I am now and until where I will be in the future. That was Abdul Karim Al-Sawadi who will be taking on Lucas Martins for the vacant Brave Combat Federation lightweight title on November 16th at Brave CF18. Abdul Karim, thank you for your time, my man. Thank you, sir. Take care. Daniel Cormier, Steve Miocic, UFC history. Oh, he heard him! Cormier knocks Miocic down! UFC history! interview when I said that Brave had two fights scheduled on Brave 18. It's actually three um, championship contests scheduled. There's, of course, the lightweight title fight between Abdul Karim Al-Salawadi and Lucas Martins. There is also the flyweight, inaugural flyweight championship, uh, which we'll see Villamirad Alkasov take on Marcella Durr. But the first championship fight of the evening, we'll see the Philippine Stephen Lohman defend his title against 
Felipe Efrain. This is the second time he's trying to defend his title in 2018, which is a very, very good matchup. And uh, um, another bout to keep an eye on on the Brave 18 card is the Luan Santiago Jamil Chan contest. The winner could get the next shot at the lightweight title. So, very, very good card set up by Brave. Also, if you are a DAZONE subscriber, that's D A Z N, I believe, kind of questionable marketing there, but. Um, you can watch the Road FC 50 event tomorrow at 6 a.m., I believe, Eastern Time. And um, you can also watch Kazumulo Zulu defend his flyweight title at AFC 75, I believe it is now. That will take place at 3.30 Eastern Time as well. So something to, you know, get you going on the weekend to... Um, Pretty decent cards on Saturday. But I said I would get to it, and I'm going to do that now. And that's talking about this UFC 1FC trade. Now, it's not a trade in the sense that, you know, they're training one fighter for another. The way they worked it out was that Ben Askren would come over to the UFC and then the UFC would have released Mighty Mouse from his contract and he uh, would then negotiate with 1FC and that's what happened and he signed on with 1FC and Ben Askren's over to the UFC of course people have been wanting to see Ben Askren in the UFC for quite some time Um, I'm not exactly sure how he would do against the upper level welterweights considering how he performed against Sapo and also Jay Haran back in Bellator. But um, a lot of Mighty Mouse fans have really been upset with the deal. And a Mighty Mouse fan myself, I think this is the best move possible for Demetrius Johnson. And the reason I say that is because the UFC never really got behind DJ, you know, when you consider the marketing aspect of the sport. They never really found a way or put forth enough effort to build up that flyweight division and kind of get fans to care about it. And I'm not one that believes in the, oh, these guys are small, so people don't want to watch them kind of situation. Um, We've seen smaller guys in boxing um, do well for years and years. And this was also an argument before, you know, the 145 and 135 pound weight classes came over to the UFC. They said people wouldn't care. That turned out to not be the case with Conor McGregor. Jose Aldo, now you have Brian Ortega and Max Holloway and all these guys. Um, I don't think it's the size. I think it's more of the marketing. But in the figures that we hear coming out of the deal with 1FC are completely insane. They're, they're paying Demetrius Johnson a lot of money, if you believe the rumors out there. Um, but he's going into a market that... Really, the flyweight division would thrive in. It's um, 
the Asian market and, you know, their average population is much smaller than the population over here in North America. And that typically translates into them being able to identify with the lighter weight guys and uh, more and be more fascinated, fascinated with it and being able to you know, grasp it and hold on to it while being entertained by it and, and things like that. So, you know, he's going to do well over in the Asian market. And I don't really see the UFC hanging on to the flyweight division much longer. Um, now, the question is going to be when they do decide to get rid of the flyweight division, what's going to happen to the talent that's there? Because I know... Some guys are going to move up, but not everybody is going to move up. So you have Risen out there. You have ACB out there. You have 1FC, Brave, and things like that. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see which fighters end up where. Um, I think 1FC wins in this situation because they just picked up Eddie Alvarez, but now they also picked up Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, a guy who didn't necessarily make... UFC a lot of money but could potentially make them tons of money and he's considered to be if not number one the number two ranked pound for pound fighter in the world as well so and you know his records don't go away you know his record title defenses and and some of the other performances that he's put on in the past in the UFC that doesn't go away just because he went over to the to 1FC. Um, he's definitely a marketable guy. He fits more with uh, the 1FC model and what they're trying to do over there as well. You know, so it's, it's really a, a brilliant move by 1FC and one that I hopes that I hope pays off for them in the long run. Now, the fact that the UFC was willing to give up Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, like I said, it's obvious that they don't have uh, plans on keeping the flyweight division around much longer, although they have some flyweight bouts scheduled. Um, I think the reason for them doing that is they want to clean out the flyweight division so they could bring in the 165-pound weight class into the UFC and the reason for that is because of the support that they've gotten from all the fans. And really, if you can get these fans on board, if you can get these fighters on board, it's going to translate more into pay-per-view buys. You're, you're going to see a profit when you're catering to what the fans want. And, you know, with the division that sits in between uh, what could be considered the two most stacked divisions in the sport... 155 and 175 or 170 I'm sure they're going to move wealth weight up to 175 if they do install what under the unified rules is considered the super lightweight division at 165 um it could it could be a good thing um but it was it was a understanding like understandable that the UFC would take this step and you know if if the flyweights aren't drawing, no, rather the fault of the UFC or not. If they're not drawing and they can install a division that will draw, it makes the most sense business-wise. So it's as simple as that. But 
like I said earlier to the WMMA fans out there, and yes, I am one, who's pushing for the atomweight division to be included in the UFC. I don't really know if I see that happening anymore. At least no time soon. You know, people were pushing in, pushing in, pushing in, and usually when you see things like this happen, you get like a year or two later, and, you know, it's all of a sudden there. But now with the flyweights out the picture, I don't really see the UFC adding the atomweight division. And, of course, people are going to say they have to add the atomweight division because they want to capitalize on the marketability marketability of fighters like Michelle Waterson. Now, Michelle Waterson is definitely a marketable fighter. But what kind of numbers is she really pulling in? You know, I got into this argument before about the Holly Holm situation. I don't think Holly Holm is nearly as marketable as people make her out to be. So when we're talking about marketability, we also need to consider if a fighter is marketable, where do we draw the line? Where, what can we point to to prove that this fighter is marketable? I don't think Michelle Waterson is pulling in the numbers right now to where she can be considered, you know, on that level of marketability, like that Misha Tate level of marketability. She has that potential, but she's also had trouble moving now to 105 in the past and actually making statements alluding to the fact that she doesn't want to do it anymore. But even if she does do it, like, is she going to be the class of that division? I'm not too sure. Siahi Ham, if she was to come over, you know, could definitely put it on her. Ayaka Hamasaki, Kana Sakara. Like, you have... A lot of talent out there now, Erica Tiburcio and people like that. So uh, I, I really don't see them doing it. And it, it may honestly be for the best. Maybe one of these other promotions will get on board with it more, start signing the, the talent of the division and, you know, promote it the way it needs to be promoted. Because if the UFC is not going to be willing to promote 105 like they should, I really don't want to see it in the UFC. So uh, what are your thoughts? Feel free to uh, send me a message on here. I hope you enjoyed the show. Ran a little long today. My apologies for that. Um, Yeah, hope you enjoy the show and sorry for my voice and everything. I'm kind of under the weather. been dealing with the flu for like a week and a half now. So trying to get over that. So thanks everyone for tuning in. I'll see you back here in a couple weeks.